It's a new year, so we have several things to remind you of that we're starting. One is our first family night is January 17th, Friday. If you've not been to that, that's for families. And so we would invite you to come. Just make sure that you RSVP with Julie so that she has enough food. Or just come and surprise her because that's always more exciting, I think. And uh, if, if you've not been to a family night, it's worth coming and seeing what our children's ministry does with all the kids in the family. So uh, take a look at that. Women's Christian Education resumes this week for those of you women that come to those sorts of things. I don't go to those things, so I don't really know what you do. But I hear that it's fun. So <laughs> somebody out there likes it. And then uh, it's inside, buried inside. But for those of you that are attending my Tuesday night class, um, we start up again this Tuesday. And we're talking about where's, where do we find Jesus in the Old Testament. So you're welcome to come to that as well. And there's plenty of other things in there just packed full. So make sure you read those and you can see what's going on in our church. Okay. We are resuming our series, For or Against, Learning to Think with Integrity. We, um, we started last fall, and we took a break for Advent. I, I don't know about you, but I thoroughly loved Advent. It was a wonderful time of just focusing on the surprises of Christmas. Well, now we're getting back to it. And the reason we're doing this is because we are, I know this is a surprise to most of you, but we're a very divided country. <laughs> The truth is, the reality is we're a divided church as well. It's just that we're quiet about it. I have coffee with uh, lots of you. So I know that some of you are on one side of an issue, some of you are on the other side, and, and it's really fun to navigate those coffees and listen, especially when you ask me what my position is. I love getting asked, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Only one person in the world knows. She's sworn to secrecy. <laughs> My children don't even know. They think they can guess, but then I surprise them. So, only one person knows. I don't even know. <laughs> so we jumped into this last fall because we want to really begin to address what does it mean to think through these cultural issues with integrity? Now, I'm just giving you fair warning Okay, you can look on the website and see the upcoming topics, but we're going to be dealing with more sensitive issues than we did in the fall, kind of work our way up to it. For instance, we need to deal with the Me Too movement and the whole sexual abuse question. We need to bring that out on the table because some of you have struggled with that. And anything the Bible talks about, we need to talk about. I'm not afraid. I'm really not. Some of you know that. Over coffee or from up front, if the Bible addresses it, it's something we need to address. And so we're going to move into some of the more sensitive topics. And what I'd like you to do is begin thinking about are the topics you would like to see us address that we haven't addressed yet, that we can put on the agenda and take a look at them. We're going to deal with this whole section, the for or against, stay in this until Lent, which is toward the end of February. It's early this year. So we have the next several weeks, and we got some good topics coming. What I wanted to do today is to kind of refresh, recalibrate where we started this discussion um, last fall. You may remember Mark and I got up, and we, we did two or three series, two or three sermons on um, beginning stuff. And the beginning introductory stuff was that we're a country who who is organized, we've organized eventually around causes. And as long as we organize around causes, we have no framework for having a discussion. Mark brought up three in his first sermon, autonomy, safety, compassion. Those are three big hot buttons. But we have lots of causes. I, I saw a cause uh, 
I'm in favor of cats. Now, I think cats are from Satan. Okay? I waited to say this until Mark was gone because he thinks dogs are from Satan. And he's just wrong. Okay? And so... The way, what happens when you organize along causes instead of values? This is my cause. And you feel like, we make you feel like an idiot if you're not in agreement with that. And naturally, the organizing along causes creates division. That's what happens. And so we have, we have no criteria in our country for generating these discussions on these important items. And so what is the famous saying? What are we should, two things we should never talk about? Politics and, and religion. Those are the two things we should all be talking about because that's the very framework of our life is these two areas. What do we believe about God and what do we believe about our country? And we should be talking about them, but we've, we have not taken the time to establish what are some of the criteria we need to follow as a country to have the discussion. And therefore, we don't know how to have the discussion. And so what that means is we're divided. I mean... Boy, you can draw the line any which way you want and you find people on two sides of it. And uh, we're not sure how to get back over to the other side or how to bring the two groups together. So we said at the beginning, what is our goal with all this? It's not to tell you how to vote. That's not it. It's not to tell you how to think about a particular policy. I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is I want to give you examples and framework to think about what does the Bible say about some of these? Okay, we'll never get into the strategies and policies. Very rarely will we talk about that. I've maintained for a long time that, uh, like you, I vote my conscience. I write letters to my congressmen, and, and when I have something I don't like, or my state leaders, I don't like it. But that's above my pay grade. Okay, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm not going to lose any sleep over what the various branches of government say to each other and the way they treat each other, what our Supreme Court decides. I will pray. But I can make a difference right here. This is the one place where I can make a big difference. And like many of you, I, I hang out with people. I talk to them. And so it's very, very important to me, the impact that we have. And so when we jump into this discussion, today's just a refresher to recalibrate us, to get down to what are the core basic elements we need to believe in as Christians to have the discussion. You know, I, I go to all the coffee shops in town. You know, most of you know that. And, um, and I visit people, and there's one of the coffee shops that has a grandmother. And um, she's um, a little cantankerous, um, a little crusty. Let's just put it that way. So I went to her the day before Christmas Eve, and I said, Hey, if you're looking for a place to come worship on Christmas Eve, uh, come to our church. We have two candlelighting services. And she goes, Yeah, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't, part- I don't do any of that. And I said, Really? That's just what I said, really? It's Christmas Eve. Everybody does it on Christmas Eve. So she didn't come. And so uh, I, went back, I went a day or two after to get another cup of coffee. And she comes up to me and she said, I, I'm sorry that I didn't come Christmas Eve. I, I, I want to apologize. And I said, why are you apologizing? And she said, for the last two days, I've heard nothing but how good the services are. How many of you are here Christmas Eve? Do you enjoy those? That was nice, wasn't it? She said, people standing in line have all been talking about how nice the services were at your church. And, uh, okay, that's what I want to hear. That's impacting our county.
And she said, and I just thought about it, and I'm really sorry that I didn't come to honor you on Christmas Eve. And I said, well, that's okay. You'll have more opportunities. <laughs> so what do we want to do is give you a framework and examples of how to have a discussion. Because if you approach it correctly, you can have the discussion with anybody. It doesn't matter where. My favorite two things to talk about in bars and coffee shops are President Trump and being a pastor. They're guaranteed to get fireworks in one direction or the other. It's guaranteed. Which opens the door wide open for healthy discussions. And uh, I love the discussions. And we're going to talk about that throughout the series. What does it look like to have healthy discussion? What does that look like? You know, I found... Almost everybody, I don't want to say 100% because I avoid those kinds of statements, but let's say 99.9%, they don't mind if you approach it the right way. So we want to, to give you some of the framework for how to think about these categories and how to start the discussion. So where do we start? Well, we said last fall, the beginning point is dignity. I want to talk about two things and bring two sermons together in this summary. One was dignity, the other one is a flourishing community. Dignity is rooted, the concept of dignity is a uniquely Christian virtue and it's rooted in the image of God. In Genesis uh, 2, when he gave Adam and Eve the choice, that was a statement of dignity. Okay, And so the greatest dignity you can show to another human is let them decide. Let them have their own opinion. It's okay. It's okay to disagree. It really is. We're a church that's a community church. I get up here some days and I think, well, today all the Catholics are going to be angry with me. But that's okay because next week it'll be the Baptists. And I love it. I love being in a community where we can have a good discussion and disagree with each other. And it's okay. It's fine to do that. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I argued last fall that it means two very different things. Number one is it means that we have a very special connection, a unique connection with God that the rest of creation does not share. That's what it means. But the second part of that is that it also means that that means, it means we have the responsibility to represent God to the rest of creation. Uh, that was true before the fall. But now that we've gone through the fall and the world is broken, it's especially true. So we have a unique, all humans have a unique connection with God. And therefore, they have a responsibility to live life a certain way to represent this God to the rest of creation. The heart of the gospel is real simple. Okay, I'm on a mission to recapture the word evangelical. No, it doesn't mean right-wing Republican. No, it doesn't mean Caucasian male. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. What it means is we believe in the good news. That's what it means. You know what the good news is? We have a God, a living God, a true living God who loves us so much that he created all of this for our pleasure and our education to teach us about him. That's what it means. That's what it means. I am proud to say I am an evangelical. Now, when people throw in my face a political side, I say, I don't know about any of that stuff. I can just tell you it's a good biblical term. And therefore, I love it. I love it. We believe in this one true God. So we have a special connection with God, and we represent God to the rest of creation. What that means is we have dignity. That's the beginning point of the discussion. Wherever you go, whoever you talk to, you need to stop and remind yourself, 
this person has dignity because they're made in the image of God. That's the beginning point. I've used this example more than once. It works in our culture. You wake up one morning and it snowed all night and you got you step outside and you got this fresh, you know, virgin field of snow. There's no brokenness, no footprints in it. It's just gorgeous. You've all seen that, haven't you? And you see the refraction, the light refraction from the sun, and you see the sparkles and all of that, and then you hear a retching sound, and you look down and here's an alcoholic. Maybe he hasn't bathed in quite a long time. Where do you see God the clearest? Only one is made in the image of God. And it's not creation. This person. This person. That's why Jesus can say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Because every human is made in the image of God. And when you begin to, when you begin to layer people, this person is not worth my time, then you've presented yourself with a true theological conundrum because that means that you are not worthy of salvation. That's what it means. If every human has dignity, then that explains why Jesus could die on the cross for all of us. And that's why, that's why God moved consistently with every human to try to bring them to him because he cares about everyone and we should too. So the beginning point of the discussion is no one is your enemy. Paul says that in Ephesians, that humans are not, uh, our enemies are not flesh and blood. That's not it at all. It doesn't matter where, how militant they are. doesn't matter how outspoken or opinionated they are. And believe me, I run across a lot. They're still worth my love and my care. That's the beginning point of having the discussion. So, how can we be like God? What does that even mean? Well, I'll just give you a couple of basic thoughts. Number one is that it's not a static quality. It's a relationship. It has to do with the way we relate to each other. So what happens when you get to the, to the New Testament, we're going through this process that we call maturing or transformation. right? And so all of us are to be transforming into the image of Christ. Now, there's three things that I do not have any power to accomplish. One is convicting. I cannot bring, convict another person to sin. That's why I don't try. Number two, I can't transform a person. Number three, I can't redeem a person. That's uniquely the role of the Holy Spirit. But transformation should be a part of all of our lives, and it should be a part of us as a community. And what that means in simple language is that we are becoming more human as we follow Christ. Okay, the technical language is we're being transformed into the image of Christ. The everyday language is you're becoming more human. You're learning to love better. You're learning to be more generous, more forgiving, more caring. All of those things. That's what it means to to be transformed. As we as a church work together to experience that transformation, then we begin to have a voice in a world that is so tired and weary. Because they see something. You see, all sin is, at its core, it just robs you of life. It makes you exhausted. Life-giving energy comes from turning to the Lord. The Lord gives life. The Spirit gives life. To turn away from the Lord sucks the life right out of you. That's why, for some of you that have struggled with sin, I'm in no hurry. All I got to do is wait for you to get so tired you can't stand up. 
In fact, I met with somebody this week and said, I'm just tired. So you're ready to do something about it? You don't have to stay where you are. Sin exhausts you. Oh, it's fun in the beginning. I never met a person having an affair that wasn't excited in the beginning. It didn't take them long before they begin to tire and get weary. That's what sin does. And so being made in the image of God is fundamentally a relationship or a journey. Okay? Think of it as a journey. And we're all on that journey. But that means that if if we are being transformed, then the very nature of that metaphor, that, that journey, means that we're headed someplace. That means that we also have a destiny. Okay? And what is that destiny for Christians? That's to create the healthiest community possible right here. Right here. It's called a flourishing community. Two core pillars of how to have the discussion with anybody with, from any opinion. Number one, they have dignity. And number two, we know what it looks like to generate a flourishing community. So let me say something about a flourishing community so you understand where we're headed, what this destiny looks like. Well, number one is created by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It doesn't happen by accident. It's created by the Holy Spirit, and the Lord uses staff, He uses pastors, He uses elders, He uses a whole bunch of you to generate that. We have the choice to make this church whatever we want it to be, don't we? Do you want it to be a loving church? Then start loving. You want to be a forgiving church? Then forgive. We can be this type of church, I can be this type of pastor, or we can be this type. How many times have I said, you don't have to stay where you are? Christmas Eve, you would, unless you were paying attention, you wouldn't have seen it, but they're passing out the candles. There's all kinds of commotion. We had, you know, five million people here. And so Mark and I are standing up here on the stage, and I just walked over and put my arm around him, and I said, you know, Mark, in a year from now, you're going to be do, leading your own congregation doing this. And he said, I know, I'm kind of scared. He said, I don't know if I can find a church with a culture like this. I looked at him and I said, you're not going to find it. I can tell you that. That's a guarantee. You have to create it. I reminded him, what have we done for six and a half years on the other side of that wall? Worked, prayed for our elders, our staff, prayed for you, and had many, many discussions on how to help you learn to be a loving congregation, a forgiving, a generous, a gracious congregation. Said, you get to start all over again and do it again. Have fun with it. And a year from today, you're going to be doing what we did on Christmas Eve. That is the beginning of a flourishing community. It starts with a very fundamental question which you need to answer. Every one of us does. How might Jesus' teachings, what we see in the Bible, how might his teachings be understood as a revolution in ethical thought? In other words, it goes against everything the world teaches us. But, it, but we believe it so much that it changes our attitudes and behaviors. How do we do that? That's the biggest challenge as a pastor. Because you're all sheep. Remember that? Prone to wander, dependent on shepherds, and sub-intelligent. <laughs> How do we do that? The moment we read that the Bible says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, and we decide to become a grumbling congregation, we just told the world we don't believe our own theology. When our divorce rate equals the divorce of the world, we just told the world 
This is worth nothing. We don't believe it. You know, the answer to all the major issues in church has to do with healthy marriages. Okay? Because when you start building into marriages, you make marriages healthy. Pornography goes, begins to go away. Divorce begins to go away. Adultery begins to go away. All the different abuses and harassments begin to go away because marriages are happy. That's why I've said from the beginning when I got here, the single greatest thing we can do to build the health of this church is take care of our marriages. That's the fountain from which everything else flows. And so, do we really believe Jesus' teachings? John 13. Here's what he said in John 13. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you are Republicans. Oh, wait. Sorry. I get, adjust my glasses. If you're Democrats. No, that's not it. If you're independents. No. Forget all the politics. If you have love for one another. I personally don't care what your politics are. I love the discussion for the sake of discussion, not because you're right or wrong. It's like I love a good debate. I love being part of a community church where we can debate. And I'm not going to try to change your mind on things. I just love the debate. Because if we have the debate, you're in the Bible. And that's what I care about. One of my favorite things I love to hear on Sundays is I disagree with you. Because that means you were listening. I tell my students at the end of every semester, the last day of class, you have no idea what I believe. You only know what I argued. And a lot of times I'll take the opposite, what we call the devil's, play the devil's advocate, which is a fun metaphor in church. Right? And so that's how people will know that we are the disciples of Christ by our love. It means that we need to make it evident. We need to demonstrate it. We need to prove it. We need to make it plausible that love actually is the core of the Christian message. That means that we need to show it. Okay, now back to the whole question of politics in our country. You can learn how to do this right here. To love the person that you're sitting across from, no matter how militant or disagreeable they might be. If you can learn that, then you can have a blast. And furthermore, you're modeling what Christianity is all about for them. What does a flourishing community look like? This is where we're headed. Let me remind you for what we talked about last fall. Number one, it means that we're in a community where we live life well together. Okay? It talks about how we conduct ourselves in society. It means having the right attitudes regardless of the circumstances. Peter addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live such lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, the day he returns, or the day he comes. What we are to be like. We are to be known. You know the apologetics Christianity in the first 300 years. Why are you killing us? We're paying our taxes. We're not stealing your wives. We're not thieves. We're honest people. Why us? And that's what our defense should be within our own culture. But more than that, it's a community that demonstrates peace or what we think of with shalom. Shalom is that sense of well-being. Well-being comes about because we live together in unity. Look what Ephesians 4 says. 
That's how Paul addressed it. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Now think about that. You've been called by the Lord. He's been tapping you on the shoulder from day one to get you to turn in faith to him. And you have. Most of you have. Maybe all of you. So live a life worthy of that calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity that was brought about by the Spirit through the bond of peace. To live in unity and to live with shalom, with peace. To help each other out. To live together in community. But it's even more than that. It means to celebrate and demonstrate joy. You read Psalm 96? I'm going to read Psalm 96, the last few verses. Just repeat it. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees, all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Some of the Psalms say clap their hands. Let all of creation, that's us, all of creation, including cats. I'm joking about the cats. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world fairly. That's what that last line means. He is a good judge. Let all of creation. And so joy is spread throughout the Bible. And so it's up to us to live life well together, to demonstrate peace and shalom in our relationships and to express joy in what happens. That's important. Joy is critical. How is it critical? I mean, it's tough. It's tough to be joyful when things aren't happening the way we want. Some of you have cancer. Some of you have lost things. I mean, the very symbol by which we call ourselves Christians is the cross, right? A symbol of shame and violence. And yet we're to experience joy. I would argue that joy has two predominant reasons why it's important and features. Number one, it motivates us to rebel against the life that is destroyed and against those that destroy life. We need to stand up against evil. Okay? I just had lunch this week with a a student of mine who struggles. um, And I was asking, tell me about your, tell me about your journey in Christian ministry. He told me, it's, it's now the most horrific story I've heard. Okay, he's a pastor. As a young pastor, many, many years ago, he said to his elders, he's a brand new pastor, he said to his elders, you know, for most of my life, I've struggled with um, pornography. And um, sometimes I still struggle. Would you help me? So they fired him. That's not the worst part. We expect that kind of treatment. I'm expecting to get fired from our pastors any day. No, I mean our elders. Just kidding. Here's the worst part. For severance, they gave him an envelope of Monopoly money and said, this is what we've gotten from you. For, for You fraud. And we wonder why the church is in trouble in the United States. Oh, my gosh. I would say that borders on satanic. That's beyond evil. Okay. The very nature of of joy causes us to stand up to people that rob us of it and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? We should stand up to those who are abusers. 
When we get to the Me Too movement discussion, I'm going to tell you why I'm thankful for it. We should do that. Okay? But there's another reason, too. And that is, joy demonstrates our commitment and belief, our profound belief as a church, that, that our faith is authentic and we believe in this one true living God. In other words, our faith is real. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus. Okay? So joy is a critical part of the flourishing community for those two reasons. It's motivate, it motivates us to deal with sin and those who would destroy life. And it expresses our true faith that we believe in a sovereign God who we may not like it and we may not even agree with it, but we believe he's doing the right thing because he is a good God. That's something that the world cannot see without us. There's no place they can look. Can they find out on any media outlet? Any news channel? They can't, can they? They can only find it by looking at us. So I was so excited when this old crusty grandmother said, I'm sorry, I wish I had come to your church because I've heard nothing but people standing in the line talking about how good it was at Starbucks, of all places. Keep it up. Father, thank you for, for your goodness. Thank you for, <clears throat> for being a God who knows how to cut through all of this politicizing, the divisions, the hurts that we experience every day of our lives. And uh, thank you for not being that kind of God. And furthermore, thank you for giving us ways to look to you in faith to have the discussion. Because we care very much for our friends and our neighbors and our strangers and visitors and tourists that come into our county. We care very much for them. So help us to be a, a light, a shining light of authenticity. In your son's name we pray. Amen.